0: Hi, I'm Shereen Patek, and you're listening to Making Marketing by Digiday. Every week, I talk to executives who are changing the marketing playbook for the industry, one decision at a time. This week's guest, Amy Fuller, Chief Marketing Officer at Accenture, joins me to talk all about B2B, talent branding, and of course, the infamous acquisition of Droga5. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Hi, Amy. Welcome to Making Marketing. Thank you for inviting me, Shireen. It's a pleasure to be here. We're so excited to have you. So, um, very confusing because it is such a big company. I wanted to actually start with kind of the basics of, you know, your role and job and what exactly it entails. Can you give us kind of a rundown of how you see your role? Um, And then we're going to talk a little bit about how that's evolved. First, I have
1: to confess, I think I have the best B2B CMO job literally in the world. And the reason (laughs) for that is that... uh, my group uh, is all of communications and all of marketing mm-hmm. in one group. And I know that tends to be a little bit unusual to have both of those primary disciplines. And so among us, we deal with all of the marketing for all of our lines of businesses, for our industries. We deal with the brand. We deal with paid media. We deal with the whole realm of global communications, which involves uh, communications around earnings, crisis communications, uh, more optimistic communications. Uh, we also handle uh, special things like our talent brand, which right. in fact is the heart hmm. of any professional services company hmm. and is the heart of Accenture as well. And, uh, and anything else that may come up uh, in the realm of social media, anything around earned owned or paid media
0: okay so that's a lot of stuff so I want to start by actually unpacking that because um, let's actually start with the talent because I think that's it's an interesting kind of challenge and opportunity for an organization that's essentially run on its people that's that's your capital that's your asset that's what's most important what has been to you sort of the most interesting kind of aspect of that job responsibility and what's changed about it over the last few years that you can kind of think about
1: so to me, the most interesting part was that the discipline didn't exist when I stepped in the door and mm-hmm. took the role a year and a half mm-hmm. ago. And uh, and that was not a surprise because I have found over the past couple of years that talent branding, which goes by different names, is probably the least developed of marketing disciplines. Mm. And for a professional service provider, it is not just important, it is central. Because as you just mentioned, Shireen, the people... We are our people. Our product is our people. And so I saw a massive opportunity for Accenture to define and run with it because the vision coming out of our global talent organization is unlike any I've ever seen Hmm. in terms of work around and vision around inclusion and diversity Hmm. and everything that might mean. In vision around upskilling people because since technology is the heart and soul of Accenture there's no such thing as finding people in the marketplace uh, that have everything you need because the marketplace (laughs) hasn't even invented what the marketplace (laughs) needs and so there is um, a lot of work that I admired when I came into the place Hmm. but then I realized that we hadn't uh, codified it and we hadn't not invented it we hadn't articulated it what the talent brand was, because once you articulate something, then you can plan against it. Absolutely. You can organize. You can avoid committing what I consider the primary sin of complicated organizations, right. uh, which is fragmentation right. of effort, of messaging, of approach.
0: I haven't heard that word or that phrase, kind of talent brand before. Kind of, How did you, is that something you've come up with? Because I like it. Um, but also, is that something that sort of encapsulates how you think about kind of talent at Accenture because the yes. idea is that this is a
1: brand. Yeah, you've given me a fabulous question, Shereen, and it. you'll have to cut me off because I'll go on and no, on.
0: No, I, I won't. But the way we think of our
1: uh, people at Accenture are as highly skilled, highly talented individuals. So things like employee branding, which sometimes is used in, in some other places, mm-hmm. uh, would only be the part of it. You know, it would only identify the relationship, employer-employee, when in fact our people are are the base of talent, of ingenuity, Mm -hmm. and increasingly as we consider the, as we call it, human and machine intersection of how us as individuals and we as humans are augmented by ever more wonderful technologies around us, the fundamental talent is the driver Mm. And will be the driver into the future. And so calling it talent brand was consistent with how we think and, and the language that we use within Accenture. Mm-hmm. We have a chief talent officer, for example. Right. We have people who, who who specialize in talent. And that may be true in other organizations, but that's what we call it. Mm-hmm. And it was a pretty, pretty telling anchor point.
0: Yeah. I feel it's interesting that it sort of also falls. Obviously, there's a chief talent officer. There's HR. There's right. all these other pieces of that. I just found it interesting that it also falls under your purview because I don't think that that's very common. Well, and that 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 uh, that makes sense that yeah. it
1: wouldn't always be wouldn't always yeah. be the case. And we do collaborate fiercely across every level of the organization and certainly to have the vision of our talent organization as the material for a talent brand is absolutely essential. And what my team and I are able to bring to it is, uh, is articulate it, for starters. Mm. And internally that was and externally. Internally, externally, right. and then to make sure that in the programs that we are, inc- well, more responsible for, such as recruitment marketing. Mm. So Got Accenture it. has more than
0: 470,000 Employees um, around think, the world. Let's just let that sink in, for yeah. a minute. because I think, <laughs> those are essentially your customers in a way when you're thinking about talent yes. branding. Yeah. Well, I always say we're we're upside down because our client base
1: is a very special and you could argue small mm-hmm. base of uh, the G2000 and many governments around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so those are our, that's our client base. That's small. It's identifiable. We know many of them and should know many of them Mm -hmm. by name versus our talent base. We hire enormously every single year Mm -hmm. because we grow enormously every single year and so on and so forth. So that that is the big, big base, not all the way to a consumer brand, Mm -hmm. but far more like a consumer brand in terms of the media that you need to think about, Mm. the language you need to use, the uh, multiple generations that we are talking about, which is true of, I think, any business, that that we are all, well, I think it's fun. We all have the pleasure of thinking about sometimes as many as four generations in the workplace, certainly no fewer than three, and they're said to be different. I don't know that they're totally different, but <laughs> but there are different uh, media consumption habits so that are different and are absolutely essential to doing anything well, right. Well, it's funny
0: because now I'm going back to what you said right at the beginning of this conversation, which is sort of, it's a B2B role with a lot of what appear to be sort of B2C characteristics right. too. Yeah. Um, when you say kind of, you know, when you say that we've actually had a lot of guests on this podcast that I've actually gone pretty deep into this idea of B2B marketing and CMOs of B2B companies versus B2C and what really is the difference. And I I'm I'm interested in in your take on this because I've I've sort of started thinking these days that those tracks that used to be so at one point clearly different like oh that's a B2B and that's a B2C and now I have to market it this way because it's B2B. They are starting to have a little bit of crossover, some overlap. You see it bits and pieces they kind of diverge. Right. diverge at points but also converge many right. times. And I think that's a really interesting place for when you think again for a marketing brain to play yeah. in because there used to be all these rules around B2B. This is what B2B brands do, this is what B2C brands do. That some of those rules are able to be thrown out of out of the window.
1: Well I so I think um, I think you're you're nailing a something that's really significant that's happened in the world of marketing. And I trace it back to what has happened among media so mm-hmm. media consumption and the nature of media that that um that anyone would use to reach a target audience and in the past one of the big differences between b2b and b2c well at the beginning of time when i got into marketing was that uh, the simplicity of reaching a b2c target meant that you really couldn't segment even if you wanted to you huh. really couldn't because you had mass media and huh. that was the most efficient TV. wisest way so right. you had TV right okay you had a lot of uh, you had a lot of print you had radio you had outdoor and that's kind of what you had and as digital media strengthened and became the way to go uh, suddenly you could get incredibly precise with your targeting and b2b has always had that level of precision in the days of trade press and <laughs> and trade publications um, which were very very important so many have have moved and had moved a long time ago yeah, into absolutely. digital media. But the ability to finally target B2B is not so different from the ability to finally target B2C. Hmm. So you have to be more quantitative in how you think about things. Uh, uh, I think it's I think it was easier hmm. back when. It was higher risk in some way because you had to pick a message or two a medium or and two spray it broadly. and then spray it broadly right. and B2B had a version of that as well but it was less broad mm. it, it was already a bit more precise that's interesting um, how
0: does that play into then like Accenture and your role can you, I'd love it, just an example more general one of seeing those things converge and then how that's actually changing the way you're thinking of marketing the brand and advertising you know, the brand
1: well the the first thing that um Uh, That needs to happen, and we are strengthening our ability to do this, is to understand what numbers we have at our disposal, what information we have at our disposal, and what it means. Mm -hmm. And um, oddly, B2B ought to be the place where, especially given companies that specialize in data (laughs) analytics, they just brilliant at it, and that (laughs) does exist within Accenture. The dilemma with marketing professional services that we are um, I believe, well en route to solving, is that you go a lot on anecdote because mm. all of the selling is highly intermediated by actual people. Right. And so for all of the data that would exist, the, um, the importance of the intermediate, long sales cycle and then long delivery time periods of the offerings that we're actually selling mean that what we learn from individuals within the company is really, really important. hmm But we can supplement that so incredibly well with how we see our target responding to what we put out in the marketplace, how they interact with what we have online, how we make sure that we're getting our thought leadership, which is a key driver in the category, into Mm -hmm. the right hands, and that we're able to understand reactions to it, Hmm. and then adjust our approach. For example, uh, in thought leadership, we we were too guilty of the PDF and pdfs are love a good pdf love see yeah (laughs) love it so and they're i mean they had they came by their long life honestly they're they can carry a lot of content they're serious we should do a separate
0: podcast about the love of the pdf (laughs) Because I think that would just be great. It's, with
1: its 10% download with rate. With its 10%. Yes.
0: And then you see the numbers. Hey, as a, right, at a exactly. media company, we have the same. We're like, oh, a beautifully designed PDF will be just what our readers need. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So,
1: yeah. so that was one change yeah. that we uh, got no, far more aggressive about. That about, makes sense. You Distribution. Know, and, yeah, and, yeah, and just lots of different formats, lots of yeah. video. Um, and as as you would know, because you're in the lead, um, the return of the podcast. Right. And so there are many more forms and having choice of forms, the yeah. long, the short, so the video. So who are you?
0: So when you think about this, because I'm fascinated by this, yeah. and I think that's so interesting that you're doing all of these, like, new things and experiment, and then coming back to the data at every point and saying, is this, right. Working? Is this working? Right. Who is this for? Like, when you look at, okay, you, you start thinking of your advertising and you're working with your partners and your in-house team and you're saying, okay, we're going to advertise yeah. this part of Accenture. Right. Who's it for? I'd love just a just an example of, I don't know, a campaign or a specific project that you kind of go through that purpose. Because I think a lot of people think Accenture, eh, professionals Do they do they even need to market? Why, why do they need to market? Everyone knows who they are. You know, and I think. That are you my of, CFO? <laughs> you don't need that. Is,
1: are you my CFO? That's a great. Okay. That's a great question. Right. But we'll get that. Yes. To that we'll get later. to that. Yes. Um, OK. So the um, the. Uh, Accenture is vast, big scope, big scale, big global footprint. Mm-hmm. And what makes us unique, and I do mean that literally unique, is our ability to pull together the right solution for clients uh, by pulling from the full breadth of what we offer. So, mm-hmm. in some cases, it will be a single offering. In the vast majority of cases, it will be pulling from multiple piece parts. And so, in that way, we sell to the C suite. Because mm-hmm. the C-suite is normally the buyer set that's in the position of having to look across a big spectrum of the business, the C-suite, and then senior decision makers mm-hmm. um, who um, who are, you know, making those kinds of decisions um, perhaps you know down a level or two, right. so to speak. Um, and one example is uh, as as I know you're you're a, you're familiar with Accenture Interactive. Mm-hmm has become a very significant business to us and a yeah. big player in the industry, reaching the CMO becomes really important. Mm-hmm. And when you look back historically at Accenture, probably not so much, if at all. And so doing the right kind of thinking that's helpful to the CMO mm. and then reaching CMOs has become really, really important. Yeah. And if you go to Can, um, you will see Accenture Interactive... Kind of everywhere, kind of everywhere, everywhere, kind of everywhere. No, it's so noted. so the other places where CMOs uh, uh, and their key, you know, people are coming together is where you will see sure. Accenture Interactive, and then the kind of work we're doing looks at well, what what is the CMO hmm. like? What what's what's the advice to the CMO? It's a little meta, so it's very like meta. It. It's extremely <laughs> meta, and that. so there there have been very interesting. Yeah. I think we've done some really interesting work that in my role. I have personally found interesting, as well as interesting for the sake the of part. of marketing the what's, brand.
0: What's kind of the biggest challenge then of of being this? Because I think I think there's obviously amazing upsides and potential to having this giant brand that almost, in some ways, touches every part of the C suite. You can kind of use it, and also I think gives you a lot of creativity and leeway to do a lot of cool things with the brand. What would you say is your biggest challenge?
1: The biggest challenge is talking about what we do in a way that doesn't use business jargon.
0: Hey, hear, hear. That that's is the one. hardest thing. You haven't used jargon once in the so. <laughs> entire conversation. So I think you're on your way. It's
1: really funny because yeah. with my team, I have a whole long list of words that I can't stand.
0: I have a whole oh, long do? list of words I All right, that I can't that's chance. the next one. I'll that's show the it to next, you after okay. this.
1: And at one point when I, when I joined the place, the team wrote down business cliches on a white wall you know massive like three person height you know dimensions of business jargon and uh, but the problem is that that's the code for a lot of meaning so if you try to move away from it you've lost your code you know you're coded you know this your means shared that. language almost. exactly your yeah, shared absolutely. language but you i don't think we can break through by speaking in code and if you don't speak that language and you are in our target audience set, mm-hmm. uh, we haven't been very helpful
0: yeah, absolutely. And so that is How do you feel about hardest. lean into as is, is kind of this, like, catch well, that, off for okay, everything? Okay,
1: that's, that's newer. Mm-hmm. That's newer. I have a personal motto that I use instead of that, okay. which is a family motto oh, that I is like sourced that. from skiing. <laughs> so, <laughs>
0: um, I'm, We have to obviously have a second podcast devoted to all the words we hate, too, which yes. would just be fascinating to look at. Um, let's really talk, actually, really quickly about Accenture Interactive, because, like you said, it is sort of um, one of the very interesting parts of the business and I think especially for this industry been the subject of a lot of kind of keen attention and I've been fascinated by it. And I and I will say, I think, you know, I, I've been covering agencies, marketing for a very, very long time and the purchase of Droga 5 genuinely surprised me because I was like, oh, okay, this is happening. <laughs> and I think, you know, and I spoke with yeah. David Droga um, a few, yeah. a few uh, weeks, I think, right after right. that acquisition closed and yeah. I was so intrigued by what he was saying because... I got it from his perspective. He said, look, I can grow this business and I can do all that. But what if I can do it better and bigger and even just make it more amazing with a partner like Accenture? So why wouldn't I? And I, you know, completely get that. From your perspective, what does kind of that acquisition mean for Accenture, the brand, really, and, and also then the company? And what's been the most surprising part of it?
1: Well, it uh, and I loved what David and you covered in in your podcast, Shereen, and I thought he he so nailed, for, you know, why why it made sense. Um, what I have noticed is with uh, when I joined, we had a number of wonderful creative capabilities uh, in various geographies as part of the team, and it was um, what it equipped us to do was to add that extremely essential piece to what we were already able to do for marketing organizations, mm-hmm. which was the, the creative part, which coming out, as I do, I came out of decades of ad agency yeah. work. And I have a, a great, you know, I have a lot of reverence for what can come out of a creative process and the nature of creative talent and how creative practitioners can really nail an articulation mm-hmm. yeah. of an idea, Absolutely. unlike anything I, I've ever seen <laughs> yeah. anywhere. And so to have the ability to nail that mm. along with the really robust capabilities that sure. Accenture has is why it is, I have to use the word unique again, why, well, why it's a really powerful offering in the marketplace. And what it does, if our fundamental Thing that makes us extremely special is this ability to solve problems, pulling from probably the broadest range of services that exist. Mm-hmm. Now we have more to pull from, mm, and in particular, it. what's happening a lot in marketing is the automation of marketing, mm-hmm. and a lot of things which um, we wouldn't think of it as the back office, but but operational expertise mm-hmm. and the way that we can automate things operationally. Well, that really requires brilliant, uh, how do you articulate the idea, <laughs> creative work right, to make it an entire solution mm-hmm. from
0: end to end. And mm-hmm. that's what we have. And this is something. And so. And when you're talking yeah. to clients, I'm curious, though, because on the flip side of this, there is yeah. a lot of a very interesting movement, you know, that, that we're observing, and as, as I'm sure you are, is with clients saying, yes, I need partners for a lot of things that I do. Um yeah. But maybe I don't need them for the creative work. Maybe yeah. I can do it myself. Yeah. And I'm I'm curious about sort of and in some ways, you know, maybe we'll we'll keep our accenture hat only half on right. for this one, but yeah. I'm, like, how do these how do these two forces kind of play together? And I'm curious where you see the, that leading out. So you've got a movement for brands wanting to do some more things themselves. Right. But at the same time, engaging partners, especially like Accenture, more than ever because business problems are right. getting really complicated. Right. And then you're coming back and saying, yeah. well, you can also do the creative. And by the way, we've got right. a world-class creative agency. Exactly, yeah. Um, those two things could be at odds.
1: Well, I think they're they're options for clients. Right. They really are. And there have always been a lot of choices. Now, lately... A lot has been written about trends towards uh, increased in-house capabilities, right. and so certainly that's a that's a very viable path. We have a very strong Accenture Creative within my team right. that is uh, is superb, and uh, and but you also have agency partners, but it, right? So I think it's um, it, it in most cases. Mm-hmm. I think it will come back to the nature of talent that you need. Mm-hmm. And what are the capabilities? And okay. do you need it 100% of the time? Or do you need it on-off? And what is the nature of the talent that you really, really need? And where are you going to find that?
0: Is um, is there any sort of credence or sort of um, truth to this idea that, okay, well, at the end of the day, you know, creative people want to work on lots of different projects. They don't want to work inside a brand. They don't want to work. Because that's one of the most common, I think, right. things that come back. and um for people to yeah. say, well, why would anybody yeah. want to work? Whether even it's an Accenture or Nike or wherever it is, it might be a why cool would you brand. Ever want to do why that? do that? Why not work an agency? Well, the advantage,
1: and I think it's personal, it's personal style and it's personal what makes right. you happy at work, kind of stuff. Um, uh, but I have always had the pleasure, including on the agency side, of working with uh, creative practitioners who love to go really, really, really deep. Yeah. And there are also projects that require non-superficial understanding of many, many dynamics. And for a lot of the very long-term relationships and ones that I was involved with, a lot of the creative directors and key people had been on the business for years. They're basically in-house. Exactly. They're (laughs) all but. And and the reason why it works for them and for the client, in my experience, is that they thoroughly understand. They still have a very special skill set and are able to bring that I mean, magic seems like a weird, like a cliched word to use, but the magic of how do you we'll allow how do you how do you express it? Yeah. But it's based on a non superficial understanding sure. of where is the money made, what is the true culture of the place, and what I found actually, my first client side mm-hmm. job was Mastercard, and within two weeks I realized, oh my god, I can find out the answer to any question in a phone call. Yeah. And, and, that's that will, and that makes me so much more adept at doing the right thing right. in ways that I couldn't possibly have imagined. <laughs> yeah. Like, how do we make money? Mm-hmm. Call the CFO, who will then tell you? <laughs> and then you'll know. And that really affected how I thought about actually creative execution. Yeah, absolutely. So
0: No, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I did want to talk about sort of a yeah. couple of, you know, just interesting kind of 30,000 foot topics that I'm currently just obsessed with and um, what you know we did we did a great story uh, recently about just kind of this this idea that like despite I think a lot of signs to the contrary that it shouldn't be this way marketing kind of still remains this idea of a cost center Um, and I and you know the reason for that story was sort of we were looking at what was happening massive layoffs at uber a bunch of restructuring and these were mostly CPG very different brands from yours of course But I was struck by that a little bit because we've, again, had so many people on this podcast that I think are so spot on when they say our big job as chief marketing officers is to ensure that that doesn't happen and keep us close to revenue, keep us responsible for revenue and don't just make us out to be like, oh, the advertising department, because, you know, it has to be closer to that. Where has that, how does that kind of idea play out in, in your head? Because you've, you've a lot of experience in this space. Have you seen changes happen? Are you seeing things evolve?
1: Well, I've seen that we've gotten much better in marketing at, at measuring and understanding re- behavioral reactions right. to, uh, to products that we put in the marketplace. To marketing, mm-hmm. m- marketing execution, right. and that is part of the quest to cause and effect. Hmm. But cause and effect remains extremely mysterious, and that is the fundamental dilemma of claiming that marketing drives revenue. Hmm. And I think there will forever be a bit of a leap of faith between looking at correlation and taking a leap of faith into it caused it. Right. because um, you know, the human head that makes the decisions about buying, no buying, buy mm-hmm. more, buy less um, is is tricky to fully understand. Sure.
0: Yeah, and, and that's where that whole idea, yeah. I, mean, I always found it funny when people would say, like, working media, non-working oh, media. I know, I that's like, a terrible definition. I, I hate like, that. Good, yes. that's on your hate list. It. Because yeah. <laughs> then how could it be non-working? Right. If it's not yeah. working, why are we doing it?
1: Right, right. So it is, um, I mean, th- what we're trying to do and are, I would say, making uh, phenomenal inroads is sure. everything that can be known, we will know. Mm-hmm. So we will know responsiveness to thought leadership Mm -hmm. we will track what happens if you went to one of our significant in-person events and Mm. we will we will know what then happened and keep tracking it through because these are long cycles of selling and buying um, and delivering to track it through and know that the systems exist to do that but it takes some discipline to get the data in place because sometimes there's human Mm -hmm. entry of the data so the idea is understand as much as you possibly can Mm -hmm. Um, Track as much as you possibly can and understand the relationship between reaching people and their buying things from
0: you. Mm And it's so. interesting because you're looking obviously at a at a world where we've never known as much. Right, exactly. About the things that we're yes, doing yeah. as as today. And that's where I sort of wanted to talk to you a little bit about also about then almost taking it taking that idea flip it's on its head and then you start looking at things like brand purpose. Why does a brand exist the way it exists? What is the purpose it has beyond the selling of the product or good that it makes? And to me, like those two things are, so in a world that everything is measured, everything is so specific down to that last cent, we know who's tracking things, who's watched the ad, who's bought the thing. And then comes along this sort of, to me, more nebulous idea of, well, brands need purpose. Brands have to be more than just the thing that they are. Um, where, do, where, do, where do you kind of stand on that and sort of how have you sought to define, if at all, kind of purpose for your brand?
1: And that is also a key thing. I was actually listening to our summer interns uh, present uh, what they had learned in their projects um, a day or so ago. And to the person, they talked about brand purpose. And so you can see Generation Z further strengthening the notion that purpose matters. But it's not restricted to any single generation. Mm -hmm. I think we can thank the millennial generation for putting it on the map. But what I'm saying is all generations want a sense of purpose. Mm Mm-hmm. In the workplace,
0: yeah, this isn't something you're just going to lump onto the no, gen and it's
1: spray. not. Oh, it's just for this particular gen. It's really everyone <laughs> right. needs the sense sense of purpose. And when you look at the um, you know workplace analytics over time, the hard work happens. You put in hard work if you feel like you're doing something significant and important. So I think what's changed for companies is that now all companies realize I've got to write it down. Mm-hmm. I have to, a little bit like talent brand. It's better if you don't make it up. It's better if you find it, Mm -hmm. identify it, and articulate it so that it can be a rallying cry. And so we have language around uh, uh, improving the way the world works and lives. And that's been part of language that talks about our mission and vision for many, many years. And I hear people referencing that internally all the time and Mm -hmm. using it. Now, we will be doing more work to... Take a fresh look at purpose. Um, We know, uh, well, every source will say purpose matters to employees. Mm -hmm. And since our talent is us, one in the same, it's even more important. At other similar places, I had done work to, Mm -hmm. again, not invent the purpose, but articulate it. Interesting, because it's
0: already somewhere in there.
1: It's somewhere. Unless you are in a situation where you're radically transforming Hmm. and trying to shed something, and move into a completely different cultural space, mm-hmm. which is not true of where we are as much as articulate it yeah. so that you can organize against it, identify it, make sure that everything you're doing is
0: um, is readily seen as in quest of the purpose. Sure. So, what, so, so what's your, like what's Accenture's and sort of where does that kind of play out? Well, it
1: will be, and we're at the beginning of what will be, a journey, but mm-hmm. not a long one, to <laughs> um, to take a fresh look at it. Nice. But right now, it it would be roughly around improving the way the world works and lives. Mm-hmm. And so the newsflash in that, if you are at Accenture, it's not just about work. It's about, We're, it's about, because the things that we do on behalf of our clients affect everybody. And in fact, our chief innovation officer, great guy named Paul Doherty, mm-hmm. um, who's a, a luminary, has uh, a piece that he presents that's all about a day in the life of a regular human, regular person, consumer type person, and then at every key point in that person's day, an Accenture enhancement has improved that person's life. <laughs> so real consumer-facing stuff through the clients that we've worked with to develop it, yeah. And and that's something that's important for us to emphasize to and that's tangible people. It's tangible. It's right. real. You have a hard time describing to your friends and family what you actually do and what Accenture <laughs> actually is, but you can point to all of these. And that's uh, so
0: great, going back right yeah. full circle to the talent branding right, exactly. conversation. That's a great thing to be able to offer. Yeah, totally. Great. Well, Amy, thank you so much for being in this episode. Well, it was
1: really fun. Thank you for having me, Shereen. And, of course,
0: look forward to more episodes starring me and Amy about <laughs> all the things that bother us. And that's all for today's episode of Making Marketing, a show by Digiday. Thank you for listening. Our producer is, of course, Gianna Cappadona. If you like the show, here's what you need to do. Head to your iTunes store, search for our show, Making Marketing, leave us a review, hopefully five stars, and a rating. I'll also read my favorite reviews here at the end of the show. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week.